I liked our visitors last week. We need to get them to come back, don't we? Uh, we're going to look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, at the character of godly wisdom. And we will also see the character of uh, uh, the world's wisdom, uh, as, as we'll see in a few moments. But we're going to focus on what the character of godly wisdom is. And there's a lot of people who are Christians who don't actually have godly wisdom. Uh, what they have is maybe the world's wisdom. Or they have a kind of wisdom that they, they think is wisdom, but what it really is is a self-exaltation of their own intellectual abilities rather than wisdom that comes from above. And so we want to we distinguish between those to make sure that we all have the right kind of wisdom. So we need to review where we were uh, last time, which was about three weeks ago, uh, where we talked about the tongue, and we called it petite but powerful. It's small, but it boasts a, a, great, uh, a great power. It was, uh, we talked about the fact that it had the power to destroy. And uh, James tells us, you know, that we have, we have the power to destroy things, like a fire set on fire of hell. And uh, it, so and I told you the story about me accidentally setting a, a five-acre pas, uh, pasture on fire with just some burning trash one time. And so that's what happens. Just a little slip of our tongue can cause almost immeasurable damage. And then there's a power to direct, like a judge can either direct someone into something that's good for his future or make him go to prison. We have the power to direct. And, and parents, we can, by blessing our children, we can give them, uh, the, we can direct their lives into greater things where they fulfill their calling for the Lord. Or we can always criticize our kids and, and direct them in ways opposite what we, we strive for ourselves because they don't want any part of that life. And then there's the power to delight. We should use our mouths to praise God, but instead many of us use it to curse men who are made in the likeness or the similitude of God. And, and, he, and James says, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Well, so the tongue is powerful, and it also is perverse. And again, he says it's set on fire of hell. He says it's like a serpent. You know, a serpent sticks two holes in you with its fangs and injects its poison, and a whole lot of bad stuff uh, happens. Uh, I recently watched, uh, I think I told you about this, that I watched a video of a man who, who set a record for being in the bathtub with the most number of live rattlesnakes. And this guy's been doing these tricks for 40 years, and yet uh, he has one artificial leg because they had to cut the other leg off after a rattlesnake bite and multiple surgeries. And, and it, it just marvels, it's, it's amazing to me, that somebody would go back and do that. Now, uh, it took me a long time to get back on a horse after one caused me to have spinal surgery. And then I asked for the oldest, slowest plug they had, and I, we were okay. I really was at the back of a long line of horses, and he would not speed up for anything. And he and I were just fine together. Uh, but normally that's just, uh, you don't, uh, <laughs> there's some horses you just don't get back on again, Okay. Um, and then it's polluted, and he says, can a fresh fountain, can a fountain bring forth both fresh water and sweet, uh, or, or salt water and sweet, or bitter water and sweet? And what he's talking about, you can't have salt water and fresh water come out of the same fountain. It's, it's one or the other. Uh, they don't mix well. Uh, they, you, it's, it's either going to taste salty or it's going to taste pure. And he says, you know, it only takes a little pollution to really uh, cause a great damage with your mouth. So these were the things that we learned about the tongue. So this time we want to focus on James 3, 13 through 18 on the character of godly wisdom. 
And just to make it maybe a little easier for us to read, we're going to try kind of an on-screen Bible here. We'll see how this works for you. And so why don't we stand for a moment in James chapter 3. Uh, this is from the Lexham English Bible, which to, is one of my favorite versions. The more I uh, look at it and the more I'm familiar with the Greek translation, the, the more or the Greek Bible, I think this does a great job of being very true to the Greek text. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good behavior his works with the humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, obedient, full of mercy and good fruits, non-judgmental without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace among those who make peace. Let's go Lord in prayer. Father, would you now focus our minds on heavenly wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above. And Father, because we were made in your image and you have redeemed us as Christians, you have given us the ability to use the same kind of wisdom that you yourself have, though never in the capacity that you have it. But Father, we pray that our, our thoughts, our actions would prove that we are following your wisdom. Help us to know it, help us to recognize it, so that when we are seeking out the godly counsel of others, we will not turn to someone who is just full of men's wisdom or intellectual sophistry, but instead, Lord, that hide your word in their hearts and can speak to us the truths of Scripture as we seek their counsel. Oh Lord, let us glorify you in all that we do or say. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there's just some things that are dangerous even when they're in a cage, you know, like putting a snake in a tank. Uh, you know, the problem with things in tanks is that they can, they can slither out. They can crawl out. Uh, uh, my nephew, Matt, uh, he has in the past, when he had an aquarium, he's had eels in his aquarium. And because uh, there are freshwater eels, and he's had freshwater aquariums with eels in it. And they have a way of constantly escaping. And I remember one time he, of course, spent some money to get a freshwater eel, and then it disappeared. And he looked around, and it had crawled out of the, uh, the tank, and uh, it was now f uh, fish jerky laying on the floor because they don't do well out of water for very long. And I've, I've had a fish that jumped out of water. It was the prettiest fish I've ever had. I had it for about, uh, I don't know, maybe a week, and then suddenly disappeared. And sure enough, mine, mine was fish jerky on the floor behind the aquarium as well. I had to go and get some special cut plastic to put over the top of the aquarium to prevent my cichlids from being able to jump out of the aquarium. Uh, but, you know, the problem with having a, a, a snake tank, if you wanted to call it that, is that every once in a while you've got to get in there and clean it or you've got to get in there to feed the snake. And, and uh, they're still dangerous if they're a, a venomous kind of snake. They can be still dangerous. You can put uh, an animal like a lion or a tiger or something like that in a cage and yet it's still dangerous if it gets out of the cage or if your hand gets through the cage or you're standing too close to the cage. 
uh, animals in a cage can be dangerous. Well, if you think about it, our tongue that we've just got through talking about three weeks ago in the first half of James chapter 3 is in a cage. It's surrounded by teeth and, and a mouth and enclosed by lips. But our tongue, unfortunately, still escapes, doesn't it? It, it gets in, out and says things that we shouldn't have said, uh, things that we wish we could take back, but we can't. Uh, I've mentioned many times that my mother used to have a magnet in her car when I was growing up. It says, uh, you are master of your unspoken words, but slave to those words that should have remained unsaid. Uh, my mother didn't keep many little sayings around on magnets, but that one stuck in my mind. And of course, my mother was full of lots of little, uh, what I call zingers, you know, little short, pithy statements that, that really uh, make a difference in your life, and a lot of those have, have shaped my life. So the, the thing is, you know, how do we keep the tongue in its cage? Well, it's not intelligence that does it, because there's a lot of intelligent people that mouth off all the time and say stuff that they shouldn't say, usually by trying to exhibit their own intelligence. But it's wisdom. Wisdom is what keeps the tongue in its cage. It's, it's a wisdom that's characterized by humility, as we'll see in a little bit, by grace and by peace. And, and the key to a right talk is having right thought. Or as I said last time we were in the book of James, uh, our tongue is a muscle that's tied to our heart. What's in the heart will eventually come out your mouth. So we've got to make use of, of that truth. Now, James is going to tell us what ungodly wisdom looks like, and it's important for us to know that. He says it is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And each of these has a source. Earthly wisdom comes from the world. Uh, Sensual wisdom or or sensual quality of of earthly wisdom or ungodly wisdom comes from the flesh. And then there's some uh, quote-unquote of men's wisdom that is just fueled by the devil. So what is earthly wisdom? It's wisdom that's focused on my present circumstances. Uh, it's focused on uh, maybe the, the general opinion of the public. It's wisdom that's focused on uh, maybe taking a, a poll uh, and deciding which way the wind is blowing and then saying, I'll go that way so I look like a leader. It's wisdom that's based on philosophy. Uh, you know, it, it, it kind of breaks my heart sometimes when I see a young person who's reading some Greek philosopher when they could be reading the Bible. Because uh, if, you, if you actually know the lifestyles of people like Socrates and, and uh, Plato, and if you knew what kind of people they were in their moral life, you would know it's not really worth reading uh, those people. Uh, so uh, we, we, there's a, a men's philosophy and Greek philosophies. And, and you can go, one of the first things that they, a lot of people do when they go to college, uh, they need some credits and so they take a course in philosophy. I've noticed that uh, college students now, one of the first tasks they're giving, uh, given in English is to read uh, an essay by Thomas Paine or a work by Thomas Paine. And he was one of the, the few founding fathers who, who was not a Christian. Uh, you know, out of 56 people, I think it was, that signed the Declaration of Independence, 52 of them started Bible societies. Uh, Thomas Paine uh, was not. Uh, he was not of that persuasion. Uh, so there is this, this focus on men's wisdom, and it's in my present circumstances. In other words, earth, or, or ungodly wisdom or earthly wisdom does not have eternity as its focus, whereas godly wisdom will. Uh, there's sensual wisdom. Basically, this is, this is what are the methods I can use to manipulate people around me to give me what I want. 
whether that's uh, the gratification of the flesh through sexual immorality or it's taking advantage of people financially. There's, there's, you can take courses on how to do these things. And you can pay somebody a tuition fee and go and find out how to manipulate other people because this is the kind of ungodly wisdom that's pervasive in our world. And then there's just devilish wisdom, and that's simply that uh, there are false philosophies. Paul warned uh, the Colossians, for example, that they were to avoid certain kinds of philosophies. They were to avoid certain kinds of traditions. They were to avoid uh, a, a lot of doing a lot of genealogies and placing their uh, their future decisions based on uh, things that came from the study of the genealogies or today. Uh, one thing that's very popular, you open almost any newspaper, uh, which I haven't read a newspaper in a long time, uh, but uh, you open almost any newspaper, there's an astrology section in there. And astrology, you know, which is different than astronomy. Astronomy study of the stars, which if uh, a lot of astronomers are, are Christians because they've seen how big and how well ordered the universe is and they conclude there must be a God. But astrology is a study of the position of stars at the moment you birth and somehow or other that shapes your entire existence and you can, you can have a horoscope as it's called. Uh, that's not from God. Uh, in fact, is the Bible warns about that sort of thing. So... How do we recognize then what real godly wisdom is? How do we know what that wisdom is? And so let me give you some characteristics. And these might be worth jotting down, maybe just a key word uh, on the, the page out the border of your Bible there in James chapter 3, verses 13 and 18. Let me give you some words that characterize godly wisdom. First of all, it's practical. Now notice what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good behavior his works with the humility of wisdom. Now I want you to notice a few things about that. First of all, uh, he says, uh, who is wise? That's the Greek word sophos, or sophos, excuse me. And epistemon is the... uh, Epistemon, excuse me, is the word that he uses there for uh, understanding. So, sophos, uh, the Greek word for wisdom, obviously is sophia. And so, sophos is the adjective. He says, if you're wise. And this particular word, and there's a lot of different words for wisdom. The fact is, in the Old Testament, there's a, a number, probably 12 or more words for wisdom in the Old Testament. But this one means moral insight and skill in the practical issues of life. In other words... The Bible wasn't meant to just be, hey, let's get our our dose of theology on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday we'll kind of do our own thing. Uh, The Bible wasn't meant so that you could have academic discussions about uh, the theory of atonement. Uh, What the Bible was meant to do is give you a manual that would tell you how to live day by day. Now, it doesn't mean we can't get into some uh, academic studies, and it doesn't mean that we can't delve into the deep things of theology and grasp them. But I think, uh, you know, you go to seminary, they teach courses in, in theology in a number of ways. Normally, they have a course called systematic theology, and what they do is they They tell you what theology proper is, which is just the study of God. And then they break that down into Christology, which is the study of Christ, and homardiology, which is the study of men's sin and the effect on it, and soteriology, which is the the study of of salvation and what Scripture says about salvation, and pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, and angelology, which you can guess what that is, and and, uh, eschatology, which is the study of end times, and there's a few more ologies along the way. Uh, but 
what I think seminaries really need to have is maybe a two-semester or ten-semester-long course in practical theology. Because what we, we don't teach a lot of seminarians is that it isn't theology, the study of God's Word and of God is not meant to just be broken down into segregated a, a, a subject matter that we study, but it is, it is principles by which we live life. And that's what we need to look for in the Bible. What are the principles that will help me live in a way that glorifies God and is also best for me? Because anything that gives God the glory will also be good for you. And we need to always remember that. Now, he uses another word. So God's word, first of all, is meant to be practiced in daily life. And this doesn't mean that you get philosophically high-minded or academic. And I worry sometimes when a student goes toward the liberal arts, in particular in college, uh, there's a reason they call it liberal arts. It's because oh, there's a lot of uh, liberal stuff that, get, that gets thrown at these students and f- a few of them uh, manage to not succumb to it. Uh, but what we need to do is, is not uh, build up our intellectual prowess and get proud of all these philosophies that we've learned, but true wisdom will actually humble a person. It will make them realize that God alone is great and worthy of praise. And we need to understand that. Now, this next word, understanding, is a very interesting word to me because there are several words for understanding in Scripture. This one's a, kind of a weird word to use for understanding. It's epistemone. There is a science called epistemology, which when you study that in, in graduate school or you study it in seminary, it means the, the science of finding the truth. How do, how do you know what's true and what's not? So let's say you've got two of your buddies and, and one of them uh, is a, 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 an evolutionist that believes that everything uh, evolved, that essentially we started with four, chance, uh, four chemicals, and those four chemicals somehow or other or, ordered themselves to form the first DNA chain, which, by the way, that is an amazing assumption of its own because it took us years, I mean centuries, to unravel the human genome. And now we're still trying to figure out what we've unraveled. And yet they think that these four chemicals kept combining in different combinations to create the DNA helix. And then those DNA helixes managed to change in certain ways so that certain organs developed one way and certain organs have the other way. It's interesting to me that Charles Darwin said that just considering how the eye was formed uh, he couldn't fit that into his whole view of evolution. Where did the eye come from? How would that ever have evolved? If he didn't know you needed to see light, why would that have evolved? He never could figure it out. So uh, if you've got one friend that really believes in evolution, you've got another friend that, that really believes in creation, that God created the heavens and the earth, as it says in Genesis 1, run, Bereshith, Baraha, Elohim, Hashemayetz, Vahaaretz, he created the heavens and the earth. Uh, which one is, is representing the truth and how do you decide? Well, you need some epistemology. You need to know how to discern what's true and what's not. And, and to, what you need to know is that we have to have a, 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 an objective source of truth. We have to have something to compare to uh, so that when one person says one thing and another th- person says another thing, we have to have a standard of truth. And that's what epistemology is about. What is the standard of truth? How do we find truth? How do we know that something's true? Uh, and so uh, it is, it's truth, it's intellectual perception, it's scientific acumen, and a person that under- has this kind of understanding knows where to find truth. And, of course, where do we find truth as Christians? We find it in the pages of Scripture. That's where we find it. Uh, is in Scripture. So a wise person 
lives out God's truth in daily practical ways. They, make, they base their decisions on God's word, which is the source of all real truth or the source of real epistemology. All right, so wisdom, of course, first of all, is practical. It lives its flesh out in daily life, and then wisdom is active. Now, notice what he says. Who is wise man and endued with knowledge among you? That's a re- really a rhetorical question from James, and here's his answer. Let him or her show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. In other words, if you, if you want to see if somebody's wise, see if they're living it out. In other words, this is exactly what James has been telling us all along. You want to see somebody that has faith, you say you have faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, if you want to know if my faith is real, look at how I'm living my life. Look at the decisions I'm making. Do my decisions, do my family, do the handling of my business affairs, do they reflect uh, that I am making those decisions based on faith? That's important to know. Do I pray about things? Do I try to follow God's will? Do I check my actions and my attitudes against the Word of God? Is that what I'm doing? In other words, your faith has to be lived out in your flesh. Now he's saying, you want to see if somebody has wisdom? What do you do? The very same thing. Look at them and see the evidence of that wisdom in their life. Are they living life by God's principles that He revealed in Scripture? That's that simple. So I don't know if you did this when you were in school as a little kid, but we used to have a day, maybe once or twice, or usually about once a month when I was in grade school, they'd have show and tell. And people would bring stuff from, from home and they'd bring it up and they, uh, they would put it on display and show you something and teach you something about it. And I debated a little bit last night about whether I should have a show and tell this morning because I thought, you know what I could do? I've got framed my bachelor's degree and then I've got framed my three-year graduate degree from, you know, uh, I've actually had five years of graduate education. I could bring those pieces of paper up here. They're nicely framed and I could put them up here on the table and say, y'all look at my wisdom. But that reality is that's not any evidence of my wisdom. That's evidence of education. But it's not evident of wisdom. If I have wisdom, I might have gotten some of that wisdom in the process of my education if I went to a good godly school. But the reality is uh, wisdom is fleshed out in my life. If you want to see my wisdom, I can't show it to you on a piece of paper. Now maybe, maybe you could read some things that I've written over the year and some of the books I've written and you could look at those and say, well, that looks, that looks wise to me. And you might conclude based on what I've written that there's some wisdom, but the real test of wisdom is, is it fleshed out in my life? That's the thing. So it's like an original show and tell. He says, if you want to see somebody has wisdom, let them do a show and tell. In other words, where do you see it in their life? So uh, see, a lot of people pursue the study of theology or the study of philosophy with an intent to feel good about their own intellect and to demonstrate that intellect to other people. And they get enamored with the philosophies that they study and they're very academically high-minded and then they start uh, doing podcasts with other people to show off their intellect and, and their wisdom. But, but uh, rather than seeking praise and preeminence, a truly wise person yields their own rights for the glory of God and for the good of others. In other words, true wisdom doesn't pat itself on the back. It doesn't advance itself to look good. It wants to benefit and bless others. That's what wisdom does because that's what God wants. Real wisdom understands that life is about giving God the glory. 
And that's crucial. So our wisdom is not measured by our degrees, but by our deeds. It doesn't matter how many degrees a person has. It's measured by our deeds. It's not a matter of acquiring truth in lectures, though there's a value in that, but it's of applying truth, specifically God's truth, to our lives. Now, so I've already alluded to this, but wisdom, another word that characterizes wisdom, you can jot down there in your margin of your Bible next to this passage, is it is humble. Wisdom is humble. Uh, there are some people who gain, gain great knowledge and philosophies and human reasoning and, and book learning, and then they parade themselves before others as being part of an intellectual elite. And, and like I said, they get on and they, they go on podcast shows and they, they talk about all this philosophy they learned, which is not based in Scripture. And they kind of parade their own version of wisdom, but James would say these people are foolish. What you really want to do is look at them. How do they treat their parents? How do they treat others in their lives? Are they blessing others with God's word? Are they promoting the mission of the kingdom or are they just promoting uh, their own uh, human wisdom or sophistry? See, the good lives and, the, and deeds are, are, are best portrayed in the humility of wisdom, as James says, uh, or wise meekness. And there's the Greek words, protete, sophius. The truly wise man, though, is humble. Um, humility, I, I find it interesting that he says meekness because meekness means yielding up your rights. That's not something a lot of us want to do. But those of us who have godly wisdom, that's something we should be doing. It, it means that we're willing to defer to others when, when it isn't on an issue of truth. And we're willing to give up our own rights if it's a way or give up our own wants or uh, ambitions if it's a way to promote the ministry of the kingdom. But wisdom, a truly wise man is humble. A truly wise man is gracious. And when I say wise man, again, please just... I'm using the generic man here, obviously referring to women as well. Look what he says here in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. Hey, he says if you acquire learning without wisdom uh, and you want human recognition and preeminence, it leads to some bad consequences. One, it leads to bitter jealousy. You don't like the fact that someone else is more preeminent than you or that another talk show host has listened to more than you or somebody else is doing more podcasts than you or somebody that you think ought to respect you doesn't respect you because you've got all this uh, intellect and you've got all these philosophies and you're, you're eloquent in your speech and you can write well and you can influence others and, and why doesn't this person respect who I am and what I'm doing? And it leads to... Uh, a jealousy or an envy, uh, and then at least a selfish ambition. Now, unfortunately, it's true that in churches very often there are people that have selfish ambitions. Uh, it says here that they have a factious rivalry. The Greek words erythian from erythua means to spin wool. That is somebody that's spinning wool working for their personal gain or spinning wool working for their personal recognition. And that happens sometimes that people are more concerned with, uh, I want a particular title in the church or I want a particular uh, place of position in the church. And, and they want that rather than just wanting to say, as I've had some people say, how can I help? I love, I love that attitude. How can I help? Actually, that's a real Christian uh, with a right attitude. It's not saying I want to be an elder. It means how can I help? Uh, that's, that's what we should be doing. 
uh, to boast in yourself or your own intelligence, the word exult, katakakistha, uh, is to deny or lie against the truth. In other words, anytime we're trying to advance our own uh, preeminence or our own intellect or our own philosophies, we're really lying against the truth because what's the truth? God will not give his glory to another. And that's true in the church. Uh, there's nobody else that should be getting the glory. Uh, I don't, uh, a lot of larger churches uh, and even, even here sometimes, and it's totally appropriate to do, but after service, you know, pastor will stand at the back so he can shake hands as people are going out the door. And that's perfectly fine because pastor should know his flock, greet his flock, give them that personal touch. But what happens a lot of times is people come out, oh, pastor, that message really blessed me, or that was a real, uh, I learned a lot today. And, and you've got to be careful as a pastor because that can, you, you can almost uh, get upset if you don't get that. You, you get used to it. Uh, it's like if you pass by a corner uh, once a day and every day somebody hands you $20, the first day that guy's not there handing you a $20 bill, you get upset because you've come to expect it. And, and the thing is, when we start doing anything so that people can tell us what a good job we've done, then what happens is we're lying against the truth because the only glory ought to go to God. Uh, if you're doing something and you feel totally unnoticed, good for you. If you're doing it for the glory of the Lord and God is the only one noticed. See, here's the real truth. Let me, let me, you might want to write this down because maybe the most important thing I will ever tell you. Here it is. You live life to play for an audience of one. Let me say that again. You live life to play for an audience of one. See, we're always worried, what do people think about me? What are they going to say after I do this? Or what are they going to say if I witness to them about that? But really, if you're on stage in life, and your life is lived on a stage where other people are watching you, there's only one critic in the audience whose evaluation matters. And it's not, it's not whether people clap or whether they stand up and give you applause. There's only one critic that matters, and that's Jesus Christ. If he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that is all that ever matters. It won't matter what anybody else thinks. Well, that's what we're after. And, and wisdom is gracious. It doesn't advance itself. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 13, love doesn't vaunt itself up. It's not, it's not swollen up with pride. It doesn't advance its own cause. It's not vaunted up. Now, wisdom is also heavenly and holy. You kind of have to put these two things together. You notice he says wisdom comes from heaven. Heavenly wisdom, and, and this is wisdom that comes from above, James says. And so this is a wisdom that not only comes from heaven, but it keeps its focus on heaven. In other words, the focus isn't on how do I advance my circumstances here, but the focus is how do I prepare for life there and how do I glorify my heavenly Father. So wisdom is not only heavenly, but it's holy. Holy means to be set apart unto the Lord. A wise person doesn't seek the recognition of men here. He seeks the approval of God for all eternity. It understands, again, that we play to an audience of one. Now, wisdom is also peaceable. Uh, and James makes kind of a big deal of this. Uh, he, he kind of uses, look how he uses the word peace several times. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable. And then he gives a lot of other characteristics, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And then listen to this. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Did you notice we've used the word peace or peaceable three different times 
in the span of these two verses. This is a big deal for James. He's repeating it for our benefit. And a lot of times churches, including this one, have been damaged in the past because someone sought a preeminence or a position or a title and wanted recognition and they campaigned for it at the expense of the unity within the body of Christ. Uh, that's not what it's about, you know. If God gives you a position, then, then fill it and fill it well. But just find out how you can serve. Now, how can I serve? How can I, 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 I do these things? See, wisdom doesn't stir up strife. It doesn't talk behind the back of, of uh, the church leaders. It doesn't advance its own causes, but instead it seeks understanding and peace. Wisdom is also considerate. Uh, that's one of the things I love about being around wise people is that they're thoughtful. They're considerate. They're looking out for your best interest. They're looking out how they can bless you. And I should be doing the same in my life. He says, The wisdom that's above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. So this word gentle means to be considerate. It means to be forbearing or patient. It means to be kind to others. So uh, that gentleness means that you're, you're, you're thoughtful, you're tender, you're caring. Uh, you want to know how you can be a blessing to others. You're asking about their needs uh, rather than focusing always on your own. So I love the fact that wisdom is, is considered. I think, I think uh, my mother certainly had this kind of wisdom. She was one of the most considerate uh, people I ever knew. And she was always interested in others who were around her. Then wisdom is open to reason. Now this... this it's almost hard to interpret what it means. In fact, it's different Bible versions have translated it a number of different ways. Uh, uh, compliant, easy to be entreated is the King James Version. Open to reason is the English Standard Version. And the RSV, which is the Revised Standard Version, but we used to joke in seminary that it was the refuted standard perversion just because it took a little liberties with Scripture at times. Uh, willing to yield, uh, New King James, that's not a bad translation actually. Uh, accommodating, uh, easy to be entreated is also the authorized version. Uh, the Alexa English Bible says obedient. Uh, New American Standard says to be reasonable. Uh, so what's, what's the idea here? It means it's open to reason and dialogue. Uh, I, since a wise person is humble, a wise person is willing to admit that they might not know all the truth there is to know and that somebody else might have a better take on truth than they do. So they're always open to improving their knowledge of truth. And so, for example, if I hear Brother Stephen teaching something in a passage and I thought, I've never thought of it that way before, and he frequently does that to me, I think maybe... Maybe I ought to go look at that. Maybe I ought to go study that. Maybe I ought to uh, think about that uh, because it's maybe a new, a new tone or a new idea that I haven't had before. And I think, well, maybe I want to go check that out in Scripture. See, if I have that kind of wisdom, I'm open to finding out that maybe I don't know truth as well as I thought I did. Uh, I still remember a, a sermon that the last pastor I worked with uh, for seven years, he, he preached, and it was something out of, I believe it was Second Timothy, and there was a passage of Scripture, and he said something about that I had never heard in spite of five years of theological graduate education. I'd never heard this thing, and I thought, 
This is a mind-blowing concept if it's true. And I'm still chewing to this day on that one thing because it kind of rocked my eschatological world a little bit. Um, and But I'm, I'm open to the fact that maybe he's right. And if so, uh, end times got a lot scarier for me about needing to tell people now. Uh, so we need to we need to be open to the fact we don't have all the truth wrapped up inside of our skin. Uh, somebody else may have other truth. I want to be open to that. I want to be approachable. Now, a truly wise person isn't going around looking for a debate so that he can show off his intellectual prowess. A truly wise person isn't looking for the opportunity to get in a debate so that they can show you that they've read more books with more footnotes than you've read. But a wise person wants to base their knowledge on God's word, but they're always willing to, to recognize that God's word is nearly as infinite as God himself is in terms of its applications and its, its depth and its meaning because it was written by an infinite God. And therefore, there might be things in there we don't understand. Uh, I, I can't tell you probably the number of times in the last, uh, oh, what is it, 41 years of ministry that I have preached passages wrongly. And then later I get a greater understanding of Scripture and I think, oh, wow. I, I based one whole sermon on the fact that in English two words were identical and never bothered checking the Hebrew, and I managed to preach it in front of my Hebrew professor who came up later, and he says, Brother Robert, you do realize that even though that's the same in English, those are two different Hebrew words. Right, that cut me down to size real quick, and I thought, man, I've got to always make sure to check the original language before I base a truth on anything. Uh, open to reason means that we're open to the idea that we might be wrong. Now, we need to know when we hear something, whatever it is, and no matter how respected that person is or how wise that person is, I need to know that I can go back to God's Word and double-check what they just told me before I accept it as truth. But I always am going to go back to the Word. Uh, and also, I think open to reason means you're willing to yield your ideas and your preconceptions and your beliefs to the truth that someone else gives you if that truth turns out to be true. Okay, that I know that was redundant. I apologize. Now, wisdom is also merciful. Notice what he says, it's full of mercy. Uh, wisdom knows that we have two main goals in life. So if you didn't know why you're here on earth, I'm about to tell you, and it's two things, and you can jot these down, and for the rest of your life, uh, until you quit fogging up a mirror with your breath, you will know why you're here on the planet. Here it is. Number one, you're here to glorify God. Revelation 4.11 says this better than any passage I know of. You are worthy. This is the 24 elders falling down before the throne. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you've created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Uh, or as it says in the King James, which I think I actually like better, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know why we, we're here? We're here to please God. That's it. Now, how do we best please God? We glorify Him. That's, that's how we please Him. We glorify Him with our speech. We glorify Him with our behavior. We glorify Him in our family. We glorify Him in our decisions. But we're here to please God. That's it. That is the number one reason that you're sucking up oxygen on the planet. Okay? The number two reason is that we're here to lead others 
to the mercy offered to them by the Lord Jesus Christ. Your job when you die and go on to glory is to take as many people with you as you can. You need to have influenced people. You need to have, have shared the gospel with people. You need to let them know that you love them and you're concerned for them. Uh, and, and it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not delaying the promise, as some consider slowness, but is patient toward you because He does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. What, what does God want? He doesn't want anybody to go to the lake of fire for all eternity. He doesn't want anybody to die and eternally be separated from himself and from his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want that. So if he doesn't want that, we shouldn't want it either. We need to be sharing the gospel with people that we meet and, and at least planting a seed. Now, maybe you don't have to give them the entire Roman road and stay there until they pray the prayer of salvation, but you can at least plant a seed in their mind that you believe that you are here because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I was at the uh, Carter Blood Care yesterday uh, getting rid of some blood. Uh, I, uh, my body makes too many red blood cells, and I, I really need to go monthly, but at, at least every other month I need to go. And my last blood test results showed my hematocrit level was way too high, and I had way too many red blood cells, and my blood was too thick, and that puts you at a higher danger of stroke. And by the way, one of the reasons that, that women tend to live longer than men is for a great portion of a woman's life. She has a monthly cycle that's getting rid of some of those red blood cells, and men, meanwhile, are just rusting inside. So if you want to extend your life, guys, uh, get rid of some of that hemoglobin, which is iron-based and rust-based, okay? Just get rid of some of it. And so I was giving some blood, and a, uh, a lady just happened to make a, a comment to me and I just uh, about something, and I just said, well... Jesus Christ is very good to me, and I couldn't make it without him. And she turns out she was a Christian, and she started giving me amens right there in the Carter Blood Care. But I didn't know when I said what I did if she knew the Lord or not, but I thought it, maybe I'd say something to precipitate a spiritual conversation. And sometimes that's what you have to do. You just have to let people know that you have a reason for hope uh, in your life. And so it's just simple as that. But wisdom is merciful. We try to lead people to mercy. Wisdom's also fruitful. You notice he says it's not only full of mercy, but it's full of good fruits. Now, I don't know what translation you're using. Fruits here should be plural. It's plural in the Greek. It should be plural in your English version. So if your version says fruit, add an S to it so that we can be accurate. Some translations just say fruit, but it's fruits. Okay, it's plural. It's full of good fruits. And this goes back to the idea that you don't give... Evidence of your wisdom by your certifications and your degrees or your education, real wisdom produces many fruits in your life of good works in every area of your life. It might be in how you treat your family, the, how you uh, give to the Lord's work at church, how you do your job so that you uh, are giving Him a full day's work for a full day's pay. It could be that it uh, affects how you take care of your body as the temple of God because you're wise enough to understand that the Spirit of God dwells in you and He doesn't want you mistreating His temple. Uh, it might have uh, impacts to how you treat the, the animals around the house. Or it might have, in other words, there should be many evidences of good work so that if somebody were to come as a detective and try to figure out if Brother Dennis here is a Christian, there'd be a lot of evidence in Dennis's life that he's a Christian. 
So wisdom is fruitful. And how do you get fruit? You just put God's principles into daily practice in every area of your life. In, in parenting, in, in marriage, in how you uh, conduct your dating life prior to marriage, and, and, and how you handle your finances, all these things. Are you putting God's principles into practice? That's crucial. Now, wisdom also respects others. Now, James has already talked to us about this when he says that wisdom, uh, in chapter 2, he says we, we should not have respect to persons. Here, James is reiterating that wisdom is without partiality. In other words, wisdom doesn't play favorites. True wisdom, it doesn't matter to them uh, what country a person's from. It doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter whether they're rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether they're educated or not educated. Because here's what true wisdom understands. Every one of us, despite our different backgrounds and our different countries and our different linguistic abilities and our different education, every single one of us was created by God in the likeness of God. We all have a spirit, soul, and body. And every one of us was so uniquely valued by God that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross to be the sacrifice for our sins so that he would take his punishment upon himself instead of us having to have that eternal punishment. And all we have to do to be in eternal fellowship with God is to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's it. We have to believe that there's a God, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, that His Son Jesus died for us and He rose again from the dead, and we need to ask Him. We need to receive Him. Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me my sins, and save me and be my master, be my Lord for all eternity. That's all it takes. It's that simple. Uh, we don't have to go through some sacrament. We don't have to have some ritual performed at church and we just need to understand that it doesn't matter what people look like, God loves them. Now, I used to always be a little uncomfortable when I'd uh, get around a, a biker, you know, that's got a long beard and he's got tattoos up and down both arms and, and he's got on a leather jacket with, you know, one of those biker clubs on the back of his leather jacket. But I have learned from years of going to gun shows these guys would be some of my best friends if the end were coming and we had to be in the same foxhole together defending our country because a lot of them love their country. And I've learned that all you need is one common interest to really start a conversation with somebody. And a lot of these are really wonderful people. Now, they've made choices that I would not make personally, but it doesn't mean that they're not worth knowing. They're worth knowing because Jesus created them. They're worth knowing because Jesus died for them. They're worth knowing because Jesus wants to see them in heaven. So I shouldn't have partiality based on someone's nationality or any other defining factor of their life because it just really doesn't matter. The fact is the color of a skin is only the difference of melanin in your skin tone. There's nothing else than that. It doesn't really matter. And also he says it's with, uh, without hypocrisy. In other words, you don't just pretend to like people. You really love them because you know God loves them. And you have that same love for them. Uh, now, I, I'll be honest with you, this takes more work with some people than others because some people like me are just genuinely lovable all the time. Uh, other people, they can be a little cantankerous and you've got to think, oh, Jesus died for them. Bless that dear sister's heart. Jesus died for her, you know, and you've got to remember that sometimes. Uh, and so, but you don't want to pretend it. You don't want to fake it. People know when you're faking love. So it's without hypocrisy. By the word, I've mentioned this before, but the word sincere 
comes from two Latin words, sine, which means without, and sera, which means wax. And used to, when potters would make a pot, if it got a little crack. Now, a bunch of secrets about pots. First of all, if you make something ceramic and you make it out of clay, you have to let it completely dry before you put it in the kiln, or when it gets in the kiln, it'll explode. That's, that's bad. But sometimes it might be 99.9% dry, but not 100%. You put it in the kiln, and rather than explode, it just develops a big crack. And somebody that spent a lot of time fashioning this, uh, this bowl or this vase or whatever it would be, they, uh, they don't want to throw away their work just because they got one little crack in it. And so what they would do is they would, they would put wax in that crack, and from the outside because it has a sheen the same as the, the rest of the product and it's glazed, you, t- you turn, and you're not discerning and you think, oh, well, this is, this is a nice face, I'll take it home. Now, because it does have a crack in it, even though it's been hidden from your eyes, eventually it's going to develop a problem it's probably going to break more easily or you're going to see it leak something. And so a wise person that buying pottery will hold up the hole in the top of the vase to a light And then they'll turn it slowly, seeing if they can see any light creak out a crack or through the wax. So a person who understood pottery in ancient times, if they rotated the pot with the light of the sun coming in it and they never saw any light creeping through the cracks, they they would say, this is sine sera. It's without wax. Hypocrisy means you're not covering anything. Hypocrisy means to cover something up. uh, But to be sincere means that this, there's no covering up. It's the real deal. There's no fault lines in, in this particular thing. So wisdom genuinely loves people even if there's a cultural difference. A wisdom is sincere. Now here's another word, and I try to get most of these down to one thing, like peaceable or gentle, but sometimes open to reason. Here's another one that takes more than one word. It's intentionally developed. See, you don't just accidentally wake up one day and because the stars aligned properly and the planets were in a certain conjunction, you are miraculously wise now. And a lot of people will tell you when you're young, well, wisdom comes with age. No, because I know a lot of old idiots. (laughs) It's just not the truth. You can still be a fool when you're old. Okay? So how, how do you get wisdom? He says peace is the seed sown that yields a harvest, or literally fruit, this time singular, of righteousness. So the wise man is a man of peace. Well, I, and, and I almost brought another visual aid, and I'm sorry I didn't, but I noticed on our kitchen counter for about the last two days now, there's a colander. You know, colander's uh, a lot like my brain. It's a container, but it has a lot of little holes in the bottom of it, and stuff drains out. Okay, so if you don't know what a colander is, just think my brain. And in that colander was a bunch of okra. And I thought, okay, where'd that okra come from? And then I remember that we, we planted a little bit of a garden. Now, our garden is, uh, is not anything to brag about. Let me just put it that way. Now, uh, next month, uh, Judy and I are taking off a Sunday. We're going to Jacksonville, Texas to celebrate the birthday of a deacon at a church that I pastored who has really just become a part of my family. He used to call Judy and me his kids. Uh, I preached his wife's funeral a number of years ago. Uh, he is celebrating his 100th birthday. And uh, Brother Daniels still has a garden. 
Uh, he cut it down this year to a mere half acre. He normally had two acres that he gardened, but, you know, then you get to be around 100, you got to slow down a little bit, so he only had half an acre of garden. Uh, he grows more tomatoes than anybody else in Maydale, Texas, and he gives them away. Uh, and But he saves his his Crowder peas and his Purple Hole peas for when I come to visit and he, we get a... a, a icebox or, you know, a, a cooler, and we managed to bring back some frozen bags of, of fresh-grown peas, which taste better. I wasn't a pea fan until I, I started eating them fresh-grown, and I love Crowder's. Crowder's my favorite. He knows that, too, so he might give away some of the purple holes, but he's saving the Crowder's for me, and uh, just one of the kindest men I've known. His, his wife has been with the Lord now, I want to say... It's over a decade, probably 12, 13 years. And uh, I asked Brother Daniels one time, I said, I said, how do you keep going? He says, well, if I don't get out and help people, he said, I just stay here and, and uh, be depressed all the time. So he gets out and he helps people. Uh, in Maydell, Texas, there's a problem with uh, getting water from the water tower to your faucet. They call Mr. Daniels because at 100 years old, he's the only one who actually remembers where all the plumbing lines are in, in, the, in the town. And uh, they call him, and that, the other day, they, we were there a few months ago, and they had a big crisis, and people were without water for two or three days, and they replaced the section of pipe right at the bottom of the water tower, and the water tower still wasn't emptying water, and, and he went up there and looked at it, and he told them, well, you got to, there's air trapped in the line, you got to bleed that air out, and he told them how to do it. And, you know, he's telling 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds what they need to do, and they do it, and sure enough, here comes the water again, you know. If you don't know how to mess with the water supply, go talk to Brother Daniels. And, and I just I admire the fact that he's still useful. He's still doing things for the kingdom. He's active in his church. He, he constantly looks for a way. He's taking care of his younger sister who's across the street. Uh, I hope I'm still useful to somebody when I'm 100, and I have some bit of knowledge that somebody will want to know, but it obviously won't be in the area of gardening. Uh, but he, he does a miraculous job. Uh, we just, we've got one of these little stand-up things, and it's got a bunch of holes in the side of it, and you fill it, and, and then Christian and others have planted it. Now, the thing is, we'd probably get a lot more vegetables if somebody would remember to water it every single day, but sometimes people forget, and it, it gets into a little drought period, and we don't have as productive a vegetable garden when that happens. You've got, you got to get it gardened. The point is, we didn't accidentally get that okra. Somebody had to plant the seeds and somebody had to water it and then God gave the increase. You don't accidentally uh, get an orchard full of peach trees, which is on my bucket list. I'd like to have a piece of property with a peach tree orchard someday. Uh, but you don't, you don't get that by accident. Not only do you have to plant the peach trees and you have to wait until they're old enough to get the peaches off of, but then you've got to prune them and you've got to make sure they're, they're pro getting proper nutrition. You've got to make sure they're getting proper water. In other words, gardens are highly intentional. And James is saying that the fruit of peace is sown intentionally. Righteousness is intentional. Wisdom is intentional, meaning you don't get it unless you go looking for it and unless you do the things to acquire it. In Proverbs chapter 1, we are instructed by wisdom herself that we should buy wisdom at any cost. We should seek for it. We should pursue it. It's not coming to you accidentally. So to achieve righteousness or spiritual maturity or practical holiness, which really is the theme of this whole book, one of the things we have to learn to do is to speak with care. 
We need to control our tongues. So winsome speech comes from a wise spirit. And a controlled tongue only comes from cultured thought. And a mouth that's filled with praise must come from a heart that's filled with purity. Uh, we have a saying in the computer world, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. Put garbage in your mind, that's what you're going to get out of your mind. Put garbage in your computer, that's what you're going to get out of your computer. When we find a computer program that's not working, we go look for a bug in the programming because we know we gave it some garbage, and that's why we're getting garbage out. Well, we could change G-I-G-O to a better meaning. We could call it God in, godliness out. We spend time with God, and we get godliness out of it. But it's intentional. You have to do it. So finally, let me wrap this up. Last slide, and then Brother Steve's going to lead us in a song. We can kind of go back over the first three chapters of James, which we've now covered, and let me sum those chapters up for you. Chapter 1, a believer should stand confidently. Even in the midst of trials and tribulations, he says, Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into divers' trials, knowing and testings, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, and let patience have your perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. But let if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberty to all men, and upbraideth not. But don't let him ask, doubting. For if he does, he's like a wave of the sea that's driven of the wind, tossed to and fro. And this man shall, <laughs> shall not be blessed uh, because he doesn't ask in faith. Uh, and then in James chapter 2, a believer should serve compassionately. He talks about the guy that comes in and, and he's different than everybody that's already in church and maybe there's some rich people and he, you, you want them sitting up front so that you can make your appeal to them and there'll be plenty of funds coming in. You want the guy that's poor and not contributing to the church, you want him in back because you, you, you don't want to pay him any attention. He's not worth your time. He's not contributing to the ministry. Or he's, he's, he's not dressed well. He doesn't look like he, he ought to be in church. And, and, and James says, this should never happen in God's house. We should treat everyone with love, regardless of what side of the tracks they come from, regardless of whether or not they contribute financially, regardless of whether or not they dress the way we think they should dress, that we're all equal in God's eyes when it comes with respect to whether or not we have available to us the grace of God. And then chapter 3, we should speak carefully. The tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison and no man can tame it. But the good news is God can tame it. If you get God's wisdom in your heart, your tongue will be better. What happens is when we start being unkind and when we start saying things we shouldn't, it means that maybe we should have spent more time in the Word that week. We need to fill our heart with the Word and then God's truth will come out of our mouths. So essentially... And this is real high, deep theology, isn't it? We should be what God wants us to be. We should do what God wants us to do. And we should speak as God wants us to speak. I guess one of the things that bugs me a lot of time about preaching is that ultimately all this study of Greek words and Hebrew words and grammar and syntax and historical context comes down to a few simple truths. You need to spend time with God in the Word. You need to spend time in prayer. You need to fellowship with fellow Christians. And you need to share your faith. keeps coming back to those four things. Or in this case, we come down to three things. We ought to be what God wants us to be. We ought to do what God wants us to do. And if we are being what we're supposed to be, we will do what He wants us to do. And we will speak the way He wants us to speak. Brother Stephen, come and lead us in a song. And... Uh, 
turn number 407 in your hymnals. And again, godly wisdom focuses on one thing, and that is God's glory and God's word. So let's, let's sing together.